Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Well, we had a day with some higher numbers in the corn and the beans, and it was even higher in the wheat complex. But if you flip the page... A lot of red going on for the live cattle, uh, feeders, and lean hogs. But really, in a nutshell, this is like a pre-report, getting ready for vacation type of day. We have some reports coming out tomorrow. One big one that we'll talk about, of course, coming out at 11 o'clock, and one that I had forgot was even coming out, and that's the CPI numbers coming out tomorrow as well. So lots of surprises could be worked into this trade when we see the open tomorrow. So we're going to get all the details from Arlen Suderman. Arlen is with Stonex. So pre-report market action, kind of the the quiet before the party or the quiet before the the what-the-heck-just-happened moments of tomorrow. You're you're exactly right. And looking at today's markets, yeah, we saw a lot of green on the screen. How much will it matter tomorrow? Will we be up dramatically more or, or will we be limit down or what? Uh, there's a plethora of things that could change things tomorrow. And uh, when you look at the January crop reports, we get to the quarterly stocks reports, which are known for their surprises, especially in the in, in the corn stocks number, which can dramatically change feed usage. Uh, you get the final production numbers for 2022. Uh, we get the updated production estimates from South America now as they're in the middle of their growing season and to the end of some of their growing seasons. Uh, we get um, uh, updated supply and demand balance sheets for the U.S. and, and the global picture. We get this uh, results of USDA's a winter wheat seeding survey, which could certainly have some surprises as well. So when you get that much data, the odds are there's going to be some surprises somewhere. Which way will those surprises be, positive or negative? Will they offset each other? And then all of that's going to take place in an environment that's created on Wall Street by its reaction to the consumer price index data to be released tomorrow morning at 7.30 central time. And Wall Street has been anticipating that data now all week long, um, and especially after earlier this week, two Fed members, two members of the Monetary Policy Committee, said that they're going to have to see that data before they can make a decision on whether it's time to start slowing their hawkish monetary policy, raising interest rates and general tightening of the monetary policy. And that could have a dramatic impact on the fear factor on Wall Street. And when fear goes up on Wall Street, money tends to come out of the commodities as well as the equities um, until that fear calms down. Or maybe it will be reassuring. Um, Maybe the number will be such um, that they'll think, hey, inflation's coming down. The Fed can now pivot its policy. All is good in the world. China's coming out of COVID. Um, demand for commodities are going up. The U.S. economy will be recovering, and everyone's going to want commodities, and maybe we'll see a big influx. That can have a bigger influence in today's world than the USDA numbers, which is frankly amazing and uh, shows how much we've, how far we've come in these markets in recent years. What are you guys feeling looking ahead to this report tomorrow? Because there's a lot of what ifs on both of them. What are you thinking? Well, and frankly, we still need to look at that um, because maybe there will be no surprises. Maybe it'll be, uh, maybe the CPI number will come in exactly where the trade anticipates. If you look at where those ex- expectations are right now, um, generally they're expecting there to be no month to month 
increase in the inflation rate. In other words, inflation for the month of December was the same as it was for the month of November. Year-on-year inflation would be about 6.6% is what the trade thinks. That would be down from 7.1% the previous month and would indicate a continuing slowing of inflation. Now, I need to say here that when we looked at the numbers that came out for the last month, it showed that inflation numbers, were headline numbers were coming down, but that was a little bit deceiving. It was coming down because commodities had come down. But when you look at the service sector, inflation was still alive and well and still increasing. And that's because the service sector is very heavily dependent upon labor. And wage inflation continues to be a significant problem in the United States. And so we're going to look at that breakdown and see how that plays out. Now, on the USDA side, if assuming there's no big surprises to change Wall Street, then we can actually trade the fundamentals of supply and demand. So we have to look at that. We're going to be, where are the changes going to be? First of all, we've always got to look for changes in the corn stocks number that would suggest higher feed usage or lower feed usage. And I think what we're going to see, my bias is we're going to see something that argues for a little bit higher feed usage. I think USDA overcut their feed usage for this year. They went too far in cutting that. Um, the other place that we've got to watch is final production yields. There's a little bit of a downward bias to, to yields as we get into the January reports, a little bit of a downward bias, particularly for soybean acreage to be reduced a little bit. But in this particular year, when we look at the history, we think there may be a slight uptick in yield for both corn and for soybeans. Then we're looking at Argentina to see some notable cuts in corn and soybean production. Probably a couple million metric tons for corn, um, maybe a million metric tons for soybeans, and then more significant cuts when we get to the February report. Uh, and that will have implications for the U.S. balance sheet. Regardless, we're looking for probably not much change to the U.S. soybean balance sheet in this report, but I do expect another cut in exports to be offset by an increase in feed usage. So overall, a lot of different changes to juggle around, but that's what we're looking for from tomorrow's report. All right, well, stick around, folks. We do have a lot more coming up as we get ready for the second half of the Fontenelle Final Bell. I heard some rumblings yesterday while I was in Des Moines and continue to see um, getting a news release about it just a little bit ago, talking about the winter wheat seedings ahead of the USDA report. Lots of questions going on there as well. Stick around. We do have a lot more coming up. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish with Fontenelle Hybrids. Let's get another Fontenelle feature, this time with Lynn Junk. Lynn and his wife Michelle run Junk Seeds near Carroll, Nebraska. Lynn, you say being a dealer for Fontenelle has been enjoyable. How so? My uh, favorite part about it is getting to uh, help my customers, which most of them are family, friends, and neighbors, to make good decisions out in their field and to help them bring more dollars home. Let's talk about performance. How has Fontenelle performed on your own farm? The Fontenelle products on my farm have performed very well. The main thing I've been able to see is a consistency between the different hybrids and allowing me to have more flexibility on placement. It's nice to have numbers that are able to go in and out of difficult acres but yet perform well on your better soils on the farm. It's just been very good and quite frankly it's increased my profit. That's Fontenelle dealer Lynn Junk. For more information you can always contact Junk Seeds in the Carroll, Nebraska area or any local Fontenelle hybrids dealer. 
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation this afternoon with Arlen Suderman with Stonex. So I've seen a lot of talk about where this wheat crop is, and now we know that the uh, USDA will also be looking at the winter wheat seedings report uh, coming out ahead of tomorrow. Looking at that, what are you hearing? And especially with you being um, in the Kansas vicinity, um, what are some thoughts and concerns about this crop? Yeah, yeah, it, it's dry, uh, particularly in the southwestern third of the Plains Hard Red Winter Wheat District, and we had a very short crop there last year as well, and that goes into the whole feed issue in the feedlots as, as well, with corn supplies being tight. There's not much feed wheat either. Um, but uh, we saw the wheat market break hard um, on Tuesday, largely because European traders saw the pre-report estimates come out for this winter wheat seeding survey and it showed a a 1.2 million acre increase in winter wheat seedings and they saw that as bearish i don't think it was really a surprise for too many people in the u.s Uh, and that's largely because the insurance rates encourage farmers to put the seed in the dust and if the rains come fine if they don't come we got a good insurance payment coming uh, um, so there was every incentive to put it in, but there's a big difference between what is seeded and what is actually harvested. And I don't think a lot of Europeans understood that. Unless you lived in the high plains, you don't really grasp what it's like there. Um, so we are expected to see an increase in wheat seedings. Uh, our number is even higher than what the average trade guess is. Last year we had total winter wheat acres at 33.27 million acres. The trade is expecting 34.48 million acres, and we're at 34.72 million acres, so a little bit higher yet. Hard red winter wheat acres are expected to to have the bulk of the increase, um, but uh, really it's kind of across the board. But we'll see what actually gets harvested. If you go into southwestern plains, there's a lot of winter wheat that isn't even up, hasn't even hasn't even germinated and emerged from the soil yet. Uh, There's been a lot of dust blowing through the winter. Uh, So it it looks pretty bleak in that area, and uh, there's probably a lot of that that will never be harvested. Well, speaking of weather, head to South America. Argentina obviously has had their struggles, but what about Brazil? Um, They've been getting some timely rain still. Yeah, Brazil really has. There's about maybe 15 to 20 percent of the belt that's had some moisture stress that's typical of the midwest in a normal growing season that's typical of brazil in a normal growing season elsewhere it's really looking good uh, there's a few areas that are getting too wet in made grasso where they're trying to harvest i talked to one of our people down there yesterday and i said okay is it a problem he goes it, it is too wet in some areas but it's not a problem yet another two weeks and we'll start having a lot of sprouting problems but uh, for now it's not a problem it's something we'll have to watch if you go south into Argentina, it's dry. They are getting some showers periodically. Those showers are underperforming the forecast and certainly less than normal. And in between the times of showers when systems come through, they're having heat in the 90s and low 100s. So a lot of heat with the dad distress. Um, talking to some of our sources down there, they say the corn crop is hurt. Now, this i got to de- clarify this. It's, it's a long planting season down there. They started planting corn october november and that corn is in the grain fill stage now but the last and that was about the first quarter of the crop the last quarter of the crop is just now in planting stage or early emergent stage so 
so it spread everything in between. Obviously, if the weather pattern would break now with La Nina starting to break down, uh, that corn could still produce pretty well. Um, but there's a significant amount of corn that does have damage um, that can't be reversed, irreversible damage. And so I do expect to see some significant cuts in corn production. For soybeans, it was planted a little bit later. Um, and as you know, soybeans can recover due to late rains to a great extent. So I'm not ready to see a significant drop in soybean production yet at this point. That potential is there. And I'm hearing, certainly hearing that from some of my sources in Argentina that we could see some substantial cuts of soybeans. But I'm not ready to believe that yet. I think that's getting a little bit caught up in the hype of living within the situation. And right now it looks dire but soybeans do have a chance to recover. We, I do think we will see a reduction in area planted to soybeans because they're starting to run out of time to plant some of their full season soybeans and even some of their double crop soybeans. And so we could see some reduction in area end up helping reduce the overall size of the crop as well. So before we wrap up, railroad strike, it's starting to creep back into the news again. Yeah, it really is. A lot of railroad road workers are saying they're very unhappy with the settlement, the labor settlement that was put on them. And um, it's more of an older workforce. And they're just saying, once I get my bonus that was in the agreement, I'm going to retire. So we'll see if that actually happens. But if it does, it could really cripple our rail industry at a critical time. Very much so. Best way for folks to get a hold of you, Arlen? StoneX.com. We're over on Twitter. All right. And that Twitter is? Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. And that is today's Fontenelle Final Bell. It is brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers. Check it out as a podcast at ruralradionetwork.com or wherever you subscribe. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.